Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of the Study with C. Martin podcast. I'm your host, Shonda Martin. For those who may not be familiar with the Study with C. Martin podcast, the Study with C. Martin podcast is the audio companion to my study, Bible study textbook, workbook, and free online Bible study course. Visit us at studywithcmartin.com to register for the free online course and access and download all of the materials chapter by chapter for free. Before we get started today, we're going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I thank you for your word, for the power to believe your word. Thank you for satisfying our mouths with good things and renewing our youth like the eagles. I thank you that your favor surrounds us as a shield. I thank you for healing us, for filling us with the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, that the eyes of our understanding continually and forever being enlightened, that we know what is the hope of your calling that we know what are the riches of the glory of your saints and light, and that we all know, see, demonstrate, and experience the exceeding greatness of your abundant power, which is continually at work for those who believe your word. Continue to have your way in this place. Continue to be glorified in all that we do, God. That your power be magnified in all that we do, God, as we continue to believe, speak, and obey your word, God. To God be the glory. We praise you, Lord. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who did die for our sin. We thank you for raising him on the third day. And I thank you, Father, that he is now seated at your right hand. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that is continually at work in us, Lord. Continue to draw, Lord, people to receive salvation. Continue to draw people to receive the gospel through this podcast, God. Continue to draw people to receive healing and instruction through this podcast. God, I give you praise for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we are starting today in chapter 17. We are in part four of the study course. And if you are listening to this podcast episode, that means that either you stumbled across this by accident or you have been trekking along with me from the beginning of the study course and you are ready to learn how to take this gospel and share it with the rest of the world. Amen. If you did happen to just stumble across this episode or if you just haven't listened to the previous episodes, I ask that you come off of this one, listen to the earlier episodes, get all caught up because we've gone over a ton of material, get caught up and then come back to this one once you've listened to all the other ones. Okay. We want you to have good understanding before you start listening to this episode. Okay. All right. So we are starting in on chapter 17. Last time we talked about becoming his disciple, what it meant to be a disciple, that being a disciple is more than just getting somebody saved. We talked about what Jesus commanded us in Matthew 28, which is to go into the world and preach the gospel. And we explored the various notions that people have presented about the good Lord not expecting everybody to preach the gospel. And that's just not the truth. Jesus commanded all of his disciples to preach the gospel. Amen. All right. So chapter 17 is entitled the disciples guide to preaching the gospel, ministering to others and making disciples. The purpose of this chapter, the purpose of this section, is to help you to study and understand what we are expected to do as disciples of Jesus. Not so that we can just have a lot of Bible knowledge, but so that we can effectively do what he commanded us to do. Making disciples is much more than just inviting someone to church, passing out salvation pamphlets, or even getting someone saved. How do we know? Just ask yourself this question. What happens to the people after they come to church with you that one time, read the salvation pamphlet, and get saved? Did they learn enough about the Word of God 
Will they understand what it means to submit to God and resist the devil? Do they know enough to exercise spiritual authority when sickness or disease tries to hinder them or their family members? While preaching the gospel begins with sharing the message of salvation and what Jesus did for you, it does not end there. Even after a person receives salvation, they still need to be taught and need to fully understand all that we now have because of Jesus, how God wants us to live according to what his word really says, and the authority and power we have been given over all power of the devil. Remember, even the original disciples had to choose to be trained so they could be sent out to preach, heal, and cast out demons. We see that in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 15, which says, And he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed the twelve, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. In Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. In Mark 16, verse 15, it says, And Jesus said to them, Go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. As his disciples, we were called for that very same purpose, and we are to do as Jesus commanded, preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons or unclean spirits, and make disciples, teaching others to observe and pay strict attention to all that Jesus has commanded us to do. As I mentioned before, a disciple is a student of another. A student is someone who voluntarily chooses to learn something from someone else choosing to be taught and trained until their studies are completed. A student is not a teacher, as a student is still learning, and a teacher is someone who already knows what they are to teach others. The Bible tells us that no one should rush to become a teacher, as you will have to give an account to the Lord of what you've taught others to do, good and bad. And we see that in James chapter 1. If you are a ministry leader, and you have not been trained to be a disciple of Jesus who actually believes and obeys what Jesus commanded us to do, and have not been trained in spiritual law, spiritual authority, and man's dominion over the earth, you should take a break from that position. Not permanently, but at least until you do understand what Jesus commanded us to do and what the Bible says about spiritual law, spiritual authority, and man's dominion over the earth. Again, you will be held accountable for what you taught others. If you never fully knew or understood what you were supposed to be teaching, how can you lead others in the right direction? As you choose to study the Bible further, it is important that you do not position yourself to be taught by a variety of teachers. Why not? Not every minister really believes or obeys the Bible. And when you listen to this minister tell you how they don't fully believe or obey the Bible, and listen to that minister tell you how they don't really believe or obey the Bible, what will you learn to believe and obey? Sampling a little bit from this teacher and a little bit from that teacher causes you to end up confused and never able to reduce any of what God promised in his word. So who should you learn from? You should learn from the example that you want to imitate. So who should you imitate? Hebrews chapter 6 verses 11 and 12 tells us, We desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. 
There are lots of ministers you can imitate. You could decide to start a church just like your cousin did after they got saved. You could copy the preaching style of a TV preacher. You could start doing internet broadcasts like the other preachers you saw online. You could start using denominational traditions that the well-known preachers use, even though they don't exactly line up with the Bible. You could try to build a big church just like the one downtown so you can have lots of members and tons of different ministry activities. You could plan to invite lots of different speakers and have lots of conferences like the well-known churches do. You could start planning missionary trips or community outreaches like the church on TV does. Or you could plan to have various giving campaigns so your church could have ministry assets like other churches have, such as multiple locations, vans, buses, helicopters, and jets. When people came to see the Apostle Peter, Philip the Evangelist, the Apostle Paul, and others in the early church, they did so because they knew that they were disciples of Jesus, meaning they knew that Jesus had taught them how to exercise spiritual authority over the works of the devil. While the previous list describes just some of the things that many Christian ministers have tried to imitate, none of those things indicate that a person is a disciple of Jesus. Think about that for a minute. While the person or their ministry may have tons of internet followers, a variety of ministry assets, and broadcasts that appear on multiple TV stations throughout the week, their ministries are missing what followed Jesus, the apostles, and others in the early church. Tangible things can always follow a company or a church that has a good business model. However, healings, miracles, signs, and wonders follow disciples of Jesus. With that understood, the Bible tells us exactly who we are to imitate. We are to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. In other words, we are to imitate those who have what Jesus said they would. The Bible tells us, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And just to pause right there on that verse, why would a person be condemned? They're condemned already because they have not accepted the salvation that was freely provided through Jesus. But the person who believes and receives salvation, who accepts Jesus' sacrifice for their sin, they will be saved. Jesus went on to say, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And they went out and preached the gospel everywhere. Talking about the disciples, the Lord working with them, confirming the word with the accompanying signs. And that passage is found in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 to 18, and also verse 20. In Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, and again, we're going to see this passage again and again throughout this chapter. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Amen. And that's in, again, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Now, from those scriptures, we see that as disciples of Jesus, we are to imitate those who believe the gospel and are disciples of Jesus. 
They preach the gospel. They pray for and heal the sick. They have signs following them because they believe the gospel. And they make disciples of Jesus. In other words, we are to imitate those who follow Jesus. As his disciples preach the gospel, we are to preach the gospel to all nations. As we saw in chapter 14, when Jesus' disciples received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the disciples received power to be his witnesses, compelling them to preach the gospel to all people, even those in foreign lands and from all walks of life, enabling them to cast out demons, heal the sick, and raise the dead in spite of persecution. While most Christians today are not widely known as pastors or missionaries, a major way that we share the gospel is by showing the love of God in our daily interaction with others, as this is how Jesus said people will know that we are his disciples. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Instead of imitating those who follow Jesus' directions, some Christians have applied their own interpretation for what he commanded his disciples to do. How so? Well, some think that preaching the gospel means to beat people up with the Bible. While God commanded us not to hide ourselves from those in need, we saw that in Isaiah 58. Beating people up with scriptures is not what Jesus meant when he commanded us to share the gospel with others. When we encounter people who don't know what the word of God says or have behaviors or practices that don't quite line up with the word of God, we are not to use the Bible to tear people down and condemn them. We are to pray for others and use the word of God to set people free. We see that scripture reference in Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 4. Additionally, we are not to invoke religious privilege so we don't have to share the gospel or the love of God with others. Most secular jobs in the United States require employers to provide goods and services to all people. Yet when some Christian employers or employees have encountered people who wear their sins openly, they attempt to invoke religious privilege as grounds for not providing goods or services to them. But that's partiality, as they are only refusing to serve those who made them aware of their sins. But how many undercover liars, adulterers, fornicators, cheaters, gossipers, thieves, abusers, and others Do they willingly, happily, and unknowingly provide goods and services for every day? What's worse, how many little sinners do they knowingly choose to show partiality to and serve because their sins aren't that big or aren't that bad? As disciples of Jesus, we're not to participate in sinful behavior, especially where we know people are practicing sinful behavior. However, who is it that you think you are sharing the gospel with, if not the unsaved? The Christians already know what the word of God says. We have to get out of that mindset of only preaching to the people that are in our backyard. When the apostle Paul went out to preach, he literally was preaching to people who practiced other religions. They had other lifestyles. People were participating in all kinds of things. Paul was not preaching to the Jews who had been brought up with the law. In his letter to Timothy, he said, I'm sending this to you to remind the people of how they are to behave in the household of God because they weren't raised with the word of God. Likewise, when you encounter people in your day to day who are not walking in line with the word of God, 
especially in the workplace or in the marketplace. It's not your job to condemn somebody. You're being like the Pharisees. I don't want to have anything to do with them because they're not walking up right before the Lord. They're an abomination. How are they supposed to receive salvation if you don't take the time to share the word of God with them so they can receive correction? Even if you're not permitted to share your religious views at the workplace, if nothing else, the least thing you can do for the person is pray for them. Man, that's an opportunity to have God at work on their behalf. You can be at the workplace seeing people day in, day out, all day long. I mean, that's an opportunity. Lord, send them my way. Send to me people today, Lord, who don't know your word so I can pray for them. If you work customer service in a government job or in a a public sector job where you can't talk about religion at work, and that's fine. As they're coming in, you're praying for them to yourself. You know, you don't have to be openly praying for people, but you can pray on your lunch break. Father, in the name of Jesus, help that man that came in earlier today with a bad back. Help that couple that was arguing, Lord. Draw them to receive salvation and correction. Draw that child that came in here, Lord, to not be disrespectful to their parents anymore. Help them to know the honor of their parents, Lord, that their days will be long upon this earth. Ask God to draw people to you that you can pray for. In the last podcast episode, in chapter 16, we talked about asking God to show you missed opportunities throughout your day where you could be sharing the gospel. Jesus told the disciples, Pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send laborers for his harvest. Ask God to show you opportunities for his harvest. You're a laborer. You have the gospel. You know the word of God. You're a laborer. Ask him to show you what work is before you every day. If you are working where you have access to the general public every day, sometimes people can have jobs where you just work in an office and you're not around very many people. Or are you working in an office just by yourself, just doing paperwork or what have you? If you are working in an office where you interact with the public on a daily basis, even throughout your day, you have opportunity on top of opportunity to pray for people. Again, you don't necessarily have to pull people to the side and pray for them in person. But while they're waiting in line, while you're processing their paperwork, while you're ringing them up at the cash register, whatever you may do while you're dealing with this person, you can still be praying under your breath for the person. And I don't mean praying like, Lord, get this person out of my line. Get this. (laughs) No, praying for God to help them in, in whatever way they need help. Praying for their salvation. If they're wearing their sins outwardly and whatever their issue is, is blatant. Everybody's issues aren't blatant. Where somebody has demonstrated a wrong behavior, you can see that outwardly. But pray for the stuff you can't see. The person that's in front of you might be neatly dressed and well-spoken, but they could have all kinds of problems going on at home. So let's not be blinded by what we see. Every person that comes before you, they can use the word of the Lord. So we got to recognize those opportunities. Again, we're supposed to be imitators of those who follow Jesus's directions. We're not supposed to misuse Christianity or our knowledge of any part of the Bible as a means of not doing what Jesus commanded us to do. Again, you got to think about those in the early church that went out preaching the gospel in foreign lands. After persecution came and the people were scattered, and you see this throughout Paul's letters to Timothy and Peter's letters about how the disciples had been scattered because of the persecution that came. So they weren't in Jerusalem anymore preaching the gospel to those who had been brought up with the word of God. 
They were preaching the gospel to those who had not been brought up with God's order. They were going in cultures where people had different marital practices, different sexual practices, different family practices, all kinds of different practices. Yet they took the gospel to these places anyway. And even when Paul and Barnabas went to go and minister, at times the people tried to make gods out of them, trying to offer sacrifices to them. Can you imagine somebody building an altar to worship you as a God after you preach the gospel to them? And that was definitely out of order. And we see that in Acts chapter 14. So again, we're not supposed to use differences that we encounter with people who weren't raised in the house of God as a reason not to share the gospel with people. We're not supposed to be like the Pharisees trying to look down on people because they have a difference of opinion or a different perspective on how to live life. Amen. Matthew 7 verses 1 to 3 says, judge not that you not be judged for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but not consider the plank in your own eye? Again, we can be quick to look at other people and say, oh, they're big sinners. They're this, they're that, because people might wear their sins openly. But we have to know that even though we might not have the same issues that that person over there has, that doesn't mean that we are without sin, that we haven't missed the mark in some way. James 2.13 says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If you want to withhold love from the person that's coming in your line today, who's wearing their sins openly, they're a known adulterer or a known this or that, and you just don't want to, oh, I refuse to ring them up. I don't associate with sinners. That's just ungodly for me to do that. I'm a Christian. That's against my religious beliefs to have to have any dealings with that kind of person. Well, if somebody knew what you did on your worst day, would somebody want to ring you up? Would somebody want to process your paperwork? That's not how we've been commanded to show love. You process the paperwork, you ring the person up, but then you pray for the person. Because when we show love, you should recognize that if the person really is a big sinner or doing something that goes against what the word of God says, what is in store for that person if they continue on that path? hell and hell-like consequences. Well, when we have the love of God in our heart and we see somebody that's on a path that could lead them to hell or have hell-like consequences, our hearts should burn with the love of God, compelling us to want to pray for the person. You shouldn't want anybody to end up in hell or have hell-like consequences in their day-to-day life. Love forgives, love has mercy, love prays. Amen. As we covered in chapter 13, love says, I want to see my brother healed. Not, I got mine, they got to get theirs. I had the good sense to know to get saved when I was a kid. They should have had the good sense to get saved when they were a kid. Now, that's not what love says. Far too often, we base our willingness to walk in love on how much we think we know about a person or their situation. Many times, we treat strangers better than those that we know. On the one hand, We can stop short of helping strangers because we can see that they wear their sins openly. But how much worse is it when we do it to family? Many times we treat strangers better than those we know personally. Why? The less we know about a person, the more we love. 
But the more we know about a person, the more we judge and the less we love. But how differently would we treat people if we didn't know anything about them, whether that be strangers at the store or your family member? If people knew everything about you, would they still want to help or pray for you? In the day of judgment, do we want the Lord to judge us to be beyond saving as we have judged others? Again, the Bible tells us, the Bible warns us, be careful how you judge others because in the same way that you judge them, you will also be judged. Additionally, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 to 13, that it would be impossible for believers to live in this world and not ever encounter unsaved, unbelieving, or immoral people. But instead of withholding love or copying ungodly behavior, Jesus' disciples are to share the gospel so that others will know that the same mercy and forgiveness that saved and healed you can save and heal them. Again, in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, and Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, Jesus commanded his disciples to preach the gospel to all nations, not just to those who already believe and behave as you do. But if we refuse to share the gospel or show the love of God to those that seem to be different or ungodly in some way, how are they ever supposed to receive the gospel? We see an example of how the gospel can change ungodly people in 2 Kings chapter 5. In the Old Testament times, a Syrian enemy military leader named Naaman had leprosy. A young Israelite girl who had been captured and made to serve his wife told him that there was a prophet in Israel named Elisha who could help him. When Elisha heard that Naaman wanted to see him, Elisha didn't say, oh no, I don't want nothing to do with him. He's a Syrian. He had several reasons not to want to be bothered with Naaman. Naaman was an enemy military leader. Naaman had leprosy, which meant he had a horrible physical condition and was also spiritually defiled. And the servant girl that was working in his house, they had captured an Israelite, one of Elisha's own people, and made her be a slave servant to his wife. So he had plenty of reasons not to want to help this man. But what was Elisha's response when he heard that this man wanted to come to him for help? Elisha said, please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Naaman went to see the prophet Elisha and believed and obeyed the instructions that Elisha told him to do. And as a result, he was completely healed. Now, immediately afterwards, Naaman decided to turn aside from idols and follow the Lord. The Bible says, and he, Naaman said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. This is what he said as a result of receiving healing. This dude turned from worshiping idols and started following God. So he said to Elisha, So accept now a present from your servant. But he, Elisha, said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And Naaman urged him to take the gift, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offerings or a sacrifice to any God but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Rimmon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, when I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon your servant 
in this matter. He, Elisha, said to him, Go in peace. And that's recorded in 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 5 to 19. So what do we learn from this story? When Elisha heard that this Syrian man wanted to see him, he did not turn from him, he did not run from him, shun him, talk badly about him, or refuse to help him because he worshipped other gods. When we see people who are not living as the Bible says they should, we should welcome them and say like Elisha, let them come so they will know that there is a disciple of Jesus in this place. Man, hallelujah. After being healed, Naaman offered Elisha money and clothes, but Elisha declined to accept. Why? As we will see in the very next section, neither God nor Jesus ever charged anyone to receive healing or salvation. Naaman brought those things with him in anticipation of having to give something in order to receive healing. While it can be okay for a person to give a gift out of thankfulness, they should never be told that they have to give something in order to get something from God, as the only thing required for us to receive from the Lord is to believe his word. Another thing we see in this episode is that the servant girl didn't have to tell Naaman anything at all. After all, she had been captured and was made to be his wife's servant. Nevertheless, in spite of her circumstances, while this slave girl was at work, she mentioned how the Lord could help her boss. Like, can you imagine that? She was captured, taken against her will to serve this enemy army leader's wife. You got a word from the Lord for him to help this dude? Nevertheless, she knew that God could help him and she told him that God could help him. But how does she communicate this information? She didn't preach him a sermon. She didn't invite him to church. She just took advantage of an opportunity to share the love of God with someone in need during the regular course of her day. And as a result of her making that one statement, that man was healed, turned away from other gods, and began worshiping the Lord. And I mean, like, think about that. Because when somebody receives the gospel, that doesn't just affect them. That changes the trajectory for their family line. From that point on, what that girl said, she didn't just cause Naaman to receive salvation. That affected the rest of his lineage. Man, glory to God. Think about that as an opportunity for you when you're at work. You prayed for somebody to receive salvation that was in your line today. And because of your prayers, that whole family line has changed. That's amazing. The Bible tells us to pray for those who are in authority over us that we might lead quiet and peaceable lives. The same thing can be said for sharing the gospel with others. A person's life is made better by having heard the gospel. We see clearly here that Naaman had a life change as a result of receiving healing and knowing that God was real. The Bible doesn't tell us this, but he very well could have gone back and released her back to her family. But whether he did or not, things would not have remained the same in his household. They couldn't. He had received the gospel. What if, like this girl, you prayed for your unruly boss? How would your work environment change as a result of you praying for your boss or praying for your co-workers? So again, as we see, Naaman, he turned away from other gods and began worshiping the Lord. And like he was all in. Because the Bible says he even asked Elisha for two mule loads of dirt from Israel 
for him to use when he worshiped the Lord from that time on. Now, why would he ask for two mule loads of dirt? Well, in those days, since the land or dirt that you worshiped on was just as important as the house or temple that you worshiped in, he wanted to make sure that he had dirt from Israel to be put on the floor of his house or wherever he was worshiping at so that he would be one in prayer with the people of Israel when they prayed. He was serious about that. So again, with this example in mind, I mean, think about how you can show the love of God to others during the course of your workday. I don't know where you work, but I mean, just think about that. Whether you work in a fast food place or whether you work in a big corporate office, think about how you can share the love of God with others throughout the course of your workday. Again, you don't have to preach anybody a sermon or beat anybody up over the head with the Bible. You can pray for them to yourself. Or you can say a simple statement like this young girl did and tell somebody that there is help for them in the word of God. Another thing that we see from this episode with Naaman and Elisha is that after becoming a follower of the Lord, Naaman wanted to make sure that he would still be right with God, even though he had to work with people who follow ungodly practices. And this right here is major. He said when his master went into the house of Remen to pray, like his job as a military leader, I guess he had a military boss over him. And part of his duties was that when his boss went into the temple to pray to this false God, he had to go in there with him and his boss would lean on him as he would kneel. And in the process, he also had to bow. Now, Naaman told Elisha, no, my heart has changed. I'm serving the Lord, but this is still my job. So can God pardon me for this? I'm going in here for my job. Just know that my heart is not for this stuff anymore. I'm going in here, but my worship belongs to God from now on. And Elisha told him, don't worry. Why? In the same way that the servant girl did not lose her salvation by working in the household of ungodly people, just working with his ungodly boss was not going to make him lose his salvation. And see, that's, that's one thing that we have to remember. Just because you process paperwork or rang somebody up at the grocery store who is wearing their sins outwardly, They appear to have bad language. You know that they're a big time sinner or by whatever their behavior is that they're displaying, it's ungodly. Okay, well, just because you rang them up or served them a sandwich, that's not going to make you lose your salvation. That's just your job. So Elisha told him not to worry. In the same way that that servant girl did not lose her salvation by working in the household of ungodly people, just working with his ungodly boss was not going to make him lose his salvation. Salvation is a heart thing. That dude's heart was turned away from false gods when he saw the power of the real God at work in his own body. So he said, no, you don't have to worry about that because I know your heart is right before God. Your heart is right before the Lord. And God knows that your heart is right. So he's not going to hold that against you knowing that that's your job. Likewise today, If you work in a place where the customers have various practices, God's not going to hold it against you if the customers in this place are not all godly people. Now, that's different if God has told you you need to quit that job and go do something else. That's different. But if you're working a regular job where you're servicing the general public, that's different. You can't escape the world. Again, the disciples of Jesus, they went outside of Jerusalem to preach the gospel. If you're just wanting to service people that are at your church, then your business needs to be set up inside your church. But if you are working a job or running a business that exists outside of the walls of your church, 
where you're servicing the general population? The thing we got to remember is that in showing love and sharing the gospel with others, we don't have to try to do anything to change people. We're not here to be anybody's personal Jesus. Let Jesus be Jesus and be the savior for people. Where we and others need to make corrections, the Holy Spirit and the word of God causes all of us to be changed in his image, not in our image. If you've been hired to do a job, do the job that you've been hired to do. Whether that be on your regular job, but even as a disciple, we've been called to share the gospel. But on your regular job, if you've been called to serve people in your office, in your government job, at the grocery store, wherever you happen to work, serve the people. Because I'm sure when you got hired on that job, they didn't say you just served one ethnic group of people. They didn't say that you just served one gender or that you just served people from this city or this state. They told you that they'd have customers. So as much as it is up to you, you're supposed to service whatever customers come through that door. And so just as we saw with Naaman, you being in that workplace, servicing whoever the customers happen to be or whoever your boss happens to be. Unless God tells you that you need to change jobs and do something else, then continue in that job. But as long as you have that job, work that job as unto the Lord, as the Bible tells us that we're supposed to. And know that you're not going to lose your salvation for just doing your job. Amen. As we saw in Naaman's own case, him being in that work environment could have resulted in his own boss and others also receiving salvation. Just as the servant girl used her work situation to impart a word that caused Naaman to not only receive healing, but to turn to the true and living God, Naaman could have eventually done the same with his own boss or even others in Syria. And that's an example of the gospel just spreading from one person to the next when we choose to share the love of God with others. But some might still say, doesn't the Bible say we shouldn't encourage people who are ungodly? Won't I be encouraging their bad behavior if I'm nice to them? While 2 John chapter 1 verses 10 and 11 does say something like that, let's look at an example from Jesus. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened, as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And that passage is found in Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. As previously discussed, far too often, ministry leaders and Christians in general can get used to sharing the gospel with the same people week after week, month after month, decade after decade. But the church was never supposed to be a place for people to socially meet week after week until they die. Again, God sent his son Jesus for a purpose. And Jesus likewise called us to be his disciples for a purpose. To make disciples who make disciples. When we only show the love of God or share the gospel with those who already believe the gospel, are we helping others to receive salvation? 
Again, Jesus is our example. In the previous passage, we see that Jesus didn't just share the gospel with those who already knew about salvation, preaching to the people who didn't need anything. He preached to the ones who needed salvation, healing, and help. As disciples of Jesus, we cannot misinterpret, misapply, or disobey the word of God and call the criticism that we end up with persecution for the gospel. Being kind to or sharing the gospel with others does not mean that you endorse any sinful activity that they may have been associated with. Sharing the gospel of the love of God with someone who is openly unsaved, sexually immoral, an idolater, a liar, or even a thief will not taint you and make you lose your salvation, but it will help those you minister to to receive salvation. However, just as refusing to forgive others will cause our sins not to be forgiven, Refusing to share the gospel with others will cause us to lose our salvation. And we see the scripture reference for that in Matthew chapter 6 verses 14 and 15, Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 and 2, and also Matthew chapter 25 verses 14 to 30. We will study this in detail in the next chapter. Again, you know, it's been said that, you know, just enough scriptures to be dangerous. And what does that mean? You know just enough of the word of God. You've heard enough scriptures to splice them up to mean everything except what they should mean, causing you not to have God's power at work like you should. We can't take the Bible, splice it up, and make it sound good for what we need. Make it definitely apply to our situations, but where it pertains to us walking in love concerning others, oh, we don't like that part. That's not what we've been called to do. We are disciples of Jesus. Jesus obeyed the word of God. He did not show any partiality. I mean, think about that. In that last passage of scripture that we looked at, where Jesus was sitting there with the tax collectors and the other sinners, what was so wrong with sitting with tax collectors? Tax collectors back then notoriously cheated the people. They overcharged them. They caused harm to people. But here, Jesus was sitting with them like they were okay. They're great. Why was Jesus sitting with them? Because they were willing to hear him. If you told somebody about the goodness of God, they'd be willing to hear you too. As Jesus' disciples, we have been commanded to share the gospel and make disciples. And we will never make disciples if we can never get past refusing to share the gospel with those who don't already share our same beliefs. Amen. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode. Before you move into next week's podcast, take a minute and review this episode again. It bears repeating. Again, we are not to withhold love and withhold the gospel from those who are not already going to our church. And we have got to get out of the mindset of preaching to the same people all the time. If people have already been preached to, church was never supposed to be a place where we just keep talking to the same people over and over. The apostles, disciples, and others in the early church did not just keep preaching to each other week after week. Disciples made disciples, and then they went out and made more disciples. Paul did not sit in one place preaching to the same 200 people week after week. He made disciples in one place, then he went and made disciples in another place. The only people that you should be preaching to regularly is your own household. And even after your family has heard and heard enough of the gospel, they should be ready to go and take the gospel to others as well. That's the process. You're a disciple who makes disciples who makes disciples. 
Amen. All right, again, so that's going to do it for this week. If you have any questions, you can send me an email at contact at studywithcmartin.com. You can leave a message in the contact form on the studywithcmartin.com website. Send me a message on Instagram or Facebook at studywithcmartin. Or leave an audio message or share a testimony at anchor.fm forward slash studywithcmartin. Again, I want to thank you for spending time with me today in the Word of God. Again, I've been your host, Shonda Martin. I look forward to spending time with you again on the next episode of the Study with C. Martin podcast. And until next time, take care.